Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. In this episode, we will be talking about hybrid working and workplace strategies, and I am delighted to welcome Samantha Fisher, Head of Dynamic Work at Okta. Sam, welcome to the show. Hi, Susie. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Sam, I know you're driven by finding creative solutions to what I call bridging that gap between digital and human, which is a quest we share. That's where we met. Um, And also to driving strategy through sustainable culture change, though, to create a more human-centered workplace. And I know you've spent a lot of time in your career doing that. So connecting the dots in organizations to create more holistic and impactful ecosystems. And you were also featured as part of the 2022 Remote Influencer Report as a remote accelerator. So congratulations. Thank you. And you're currently head of Dynamic Work. So let's start there. What what is Dynamic Work for you? And can you tell us more about that strategy? Yeah. So Dynamic Work at Okta is really about um, maintaining choice and flexibility for our employees Mm -hmm. while maximizing opportunities for community engagement. Right. it's a, it's very broad. Obviously that feels, you know, that's our mission at Okta and that feels very broad, but when we say choice and flexibility, it's not just about presence. Mm. And I think that's a big opportunity for companies when they think about, you know, hybrid remote workforces around what are the other things that go into building those workforces and in a way that is kind of wrapped in an in a wrapper around community and equity and flexibility and choice. And that's mm-hmm. not just again the presence. It's also about you know, benefits and how do you engage them from helping them diversity, inclusion, and belonging and what mm-hmm. are the tools and technologies that people need. So for us, you know, dynamic work is really the full spectrum of the employee life cycle and journey at Okta, the place which we also believe place has a purpose in this pandemic world um, is really purposeful and it's intentional around bringing teams together so that they can build relationships and they can have learning and development opportunities and they can have employee experience opportunities. So it's very intentional and it's really around culture and bringing those teams together um, and helping advance those tenants of our organization. Mm. Um, so place has a very specific purpose, but dynamic work in general is much more broadly encompassing than just the, am I coming to the office? Am I not coming to the office? Am I working from a third yeah. space? That's a small subset of it. And I mm. think organizations that are very much focused on that are losing the bigger picture and the bigger opportunity to build that holistic environment for their employees. Yeah, because I'm hearing two words there. I'm hearing presence, which is not everything anymore, is it? It's very far from that. Although a lot of our rituals and management practices are based on people being present. And if they're not present on having a digital presence, so they just need to be on 24-7, which brings me to my second word, which is intentional. So actually intentionally making it more equitable. Now, we've heard so much more about DE&I since the pandemic, and it's really brought it to the fore. So, you know, what... Does this idea of human-centered and inclusive environments, how have people reacted to that? When you've said this is a dynamic work strategy and this is what it means, how have the employees reacted to it? The employees have really rallied around it. Mm. We have a very, very small subset of employees that have job profiles within our organization that requires them to have on-site presence. And that's primarily our workforce team, like our workplace Mm as well as our business technologies teams that are supporting employees that are coming to the office. And so for the large majority of our company, I would say, you know, 80% plus 
they have flexibility built into not only their work location, but their schedule Hmm. and the choice of types of offerings that we offer around employee experience. And we're currently working on flexible benefits offerings. So they really have rallied around it and they Hmm. really like it creates an opportunity for them to manage their schedule and manage the balance of not only the work, but also their life in a way that is most productive and most successful to them. Mm -hmm. So our framework, when we think about what our framework is, our framework for dynamic work is really anchored in trust. So that's the, that's the primary pillar of it. And then we have flexibility, choice, community and equity as kind of our other pillars. And it's kind of wrapped in this hybrid wrapper. So for us, Mm -hmm. trust, Trust is the primary focus of dynamic work. We have to trust our employees that we've hired super smart people. We're providing them the right tools that they need to get their job done. Mm. We're also providing them the right programs and services so they feel connected to each other and the organization. And that we're trusting them to make the best decisions around how and when and where to get the work done based on what they're working on. And then we're coaching them and mentoring and developing them in places where they need extra support. Or they might need course correction on the work side. But Mm. that's really our focus around it. And people, again, have really, really rallied around it. They've really enjoyed it. You know, they've got new rituals. They've got new, you know, opportunities or new things that they've engaged in at home. And they really have loved it. And the times when people are coming to the office. So we also track all our utilization. And, you know, Mm. we're averaging about 2,000 people globally. For a company wow. that's about 5,500 people right now, that's almost half yeah. uh, that are coming it's in huge. on a fairly regular basis mm. every week. Like that's our weekly average. They're doing it because they want to, right? We're not forcing anybody to do it, but we're creating a place that has both services and experiences and growing teams mm. and people are coming together because they want to, mm. and they're finding a lot of synergies in those conversations, or, you know, they're meeting up in local geographies where we don't have an office. We're just creating all of these different avenues for people to take advantage of this ecosystem. And it's really been a place where for us, it's continued to be a strategic advantage, competitive advantage for us particularly compared to peers that are requiring a certain number of days in the office or a specific yeah. amount of time in the office or moving back for, to a new location after the pandemic. It's mm. really a strategic mm. advantage for us. I can imagine it's basically working on the ecosystem, isn't it? It's creating adaptive culture. I mean, if you look at trust, which I'm understanding is the mainstay of your dynamic work strategy, then you're getting rid of the, the presenting or the presencing discussion, aren't you? Because it is about managerial trust and this is about just working differently in a different model. So, but I'm interested as to how digital and technology has enabled that strategy because essentially it's about human points, isn't it? It's about working on human things like trust and cooperation and collaboration, but clearly digital has enabled it massively. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so our digital solutions, obviously like most software technology companies are very forward-leaning. So mm. we looked at, we, we have an internal employee app that allows people to see who's coming into the office or who's booked space. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't book desks. We just say, hey, I'm coming to the office these days. So we have an app where you can see that within your reporting chain. You can also add people to your team if maybe they're not necessarily in your reporting chain, but you want to you see if they're coming in and you want to work with them. We have obviously a, a 
huge cadre of Zoom products, um, Zoom whiteboarding. We are testing the Zoom, I think they call it Hollywood Squares version, or maybe the Brady Bunch, where even in the room, the Zoom camera creates a square for every single person, even if you're together in a room. Oh, wow. So that, okay. So that our, you know, our virtual employees feel they have as much equity in this in the place yeah. um, mm. and in the experience as the people that are sitting in the room. Right. Um, you know, we we use a lot of digital whiteboarding tools, um, mm. primarily Miro. That's one of our primary mm. ones that we use. Um, and a lot of teams use it. They really love it. Mm. We have on-demand printing. So again, cloud, cloud-based. So I can be sitting at my desk knowing that I'm traveling into the Chicago office and I can send a job to the printer from my desk at home and then I can release it in the office right through okay. my back. Okay. So we, we're leveraging a lot of these tools and technologies, hmm. um, sensors in place uh, in a number of our offices. We don't have them everywhere, but they really help us understand the design and the utilization of the different spaces for how we're redesigning our offices to be that place of intentional purpose. Mm. Nobody so, has individual desks though, Sam, now. Nobody has. The businesses have the de- have the right to make that decision. Okay. What we do is we, we create an, a neighborhood by business based on the ratio to community spaces to, and to um, neighborhoods. And within that neighborhood, each business can choose to, if they decide to, to have someone have an individual desk, they can choose that. But we no longer manage that in the workplace component. Okay. We just provide the neighborhood. They get to choose how they want to do it. I have not seen anybody move back to a one-to-one desking ratio Mm. in our organization. Mm. And basically people can choose when they come into the office and how much time they spend in the office. What what does that model look like? Is it just purely a question of personal choice or? It is primarily a a question of personal choice. What we've asked our leaders to do, however, is to give transparency into their decisions around coming into the office. And we have Mm. leaders all over the world and even leaders that are not in a location with an office. So again, those leaders say, hey, these are the days that I might come in. And really the intent behind it, again, is not to tell people, oh, my leader's coming in, so now I have to come in. It's to give transparency. It's really, and that's a hard that's a hard sh- behavioral shift and sort yes. of mind shift that I think people have because mm. I do. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news and in the commentary right now around. Well, if leaders start coming in, then people feel like they have to come in because of the choice and the the accessibility to leaders and the promotion and the FaceTime and all of these things that have been part of our historic culture of how we do mm. work. Mm. Um, and I think what we're doing is being very intentional around saying. Just because your leader is in, you don't have to come in. Mm. And we've said that at leaders all hands. We've said that in our, you know, our executive staff meetings. And they're telling their teams that. They're telling their teams, I am giving you this visibility. Mm. So if you have something that you need from me or you need to come in and, and meet with me, or maybe you're new to my team and we've never met, come on in. You know, let's mm. have a let's have a chat. Let's mm. have some coffee time. Let's do this. So it's not about the leader comes in, they're in their office, you know, they're in their office or they're at their desk and they're working and everybody else comes around them just to be around them. It's really intentional to build those relationships and build up those teams. And clearly and so, that, that doesn't happen overnight, does it? So it's, no. it's quite interesting to see how are people adapting to that? Because like the presencing discussion, that's been the paradigm for so long that, you know, oh, my boss is there. I, I should be there. I need to be seen to be there to be working and things like that. How are you seeing that play out? We are seeing that play out actually really well. We have a new learning and development 
that they've expanded our learning and development team that have been focused on, you know, what are those things and how do we lead and manage differently? Mm. Because it is a different yeah. muscle, right? Yeah. Managing and leading a distributed team mm. and focusing on the equity of the inclusion of all of those different teammates and focusing on, you know, the delivery of the, the KPIs or the OK or the um, VMTs, whatever the organization uses to define what those those metrics are, um, is much different than just seeing that everybody came into the office and then seeing work sort of progress. It's mm. very very different managerial style, and so we've really focused on re-educating our managers. We have a number of different things that we've shared with them around adapting to okay. a dynamic work style. Right, we're building all of these resources for them because it is different. And, yeah, and it's very so different. On top of that, we also have new performance, you know, new talent management cycle teammates that are mm-hmm. redefining, you know, competencies and how do we have feedback conversations and how do we, you know, give new expectations and and how do you set expectations in mm-hmm. the digital world? So there's a lot of what I would say foundational grassroots grounding things that are happening. But in general, what we've seen from our employee engagement scores are people really love it. They feel very empowered by dynamic work and they feel empowered to make the decisions that make the most sense for them. Mm. And they still feel like they have career opportunities and opportunities to grow their career here at Okta, even in a dynamic environment, or maybe they aren't coming in every day, or maybe they don't come in at all. We do have have a subset of employees that are very comfortable working remotely and they might only come together when they have an offsite. And those employees are getting just as much engagement and incentive and investment at a leadership level as our employees that might choose to come in more frequently for whatever reason, whether that's a personal mm. reason, mm. you know, where they live, mm. it could be because they just need some focus time. It could be they're new to the organization and they're learning the organization. So there's a number of reasons why people choose to, you know, be more present oh, yeah. in the office, mm. but we're really spending a lot of time on those places. And what are your sort of milestones there for keeping it equitable? Because often people feel that if they're not there, they're not seen or heard as much as the people who are there. So which links to my next question around measurement, but let's just look at these milestones for the moment in terms of how do you sort of check your system for, for equity all the time? So we publish a diversity, inclusion and belonging report. It's called State of the Inclusion Report. And within that, we also track promotions. Right. We track promotability. It was primarily focused in the last couple of years around, you know, gender, race, and uh, those and functional group mm-hmm. things. But we've had a conversation around including how do we how do we tell about remote employees, you know, right. employees that choose not to mm-hmm. come in. So that is on our roadmap. We have not necessarily done that, done the, right. the measurement of it, um, but that is that is on our roadmap to include that now in our diversity report. So we understand, you know, is there an impact to employees that are more remote or more dynamic than employees that happen to be near the office? The other thing for that, Susie, is really, you know, 70% of our employees that have been hired since the pandemic, which was, what was that, March of 2020, are in what we consider to be remote roles. So they're not, they're Mm. not located near an Okta office. So by virtue of some some quiet forcing mechanisms, because of how we've done our hiring, Mm. we're seeing that happen a little bit organically. So we've seen a lot more hires in locations that don't have an office. We've seen a lot more organizations that have more distribution at their own leadership level, right? I'm talking 
C-suite level, as well as, you know, SVP or VP plus levels, those teams are much more widely distributed. Mm. And so because the leaders are like that already, we're seeing that distribution continue to trickle down into the uh, into the more junior parts of the organization. And everybody is in the same boat. Yeah, And that maybe is the best thing for mm. us as a company is you don't have a subset of employees or teams or even leaders where they're all together and they can all come together. And then everybody else is sort of on the outside. That was an intentional decision around our hiring practices. Right. Because we did that intentionally and we've hired many, many leaders in a distributed manner, it's organically happening in the, you know, in our people and places team. You know, I can think about it now. We've got a leader, you know, ahead of our Okta U, our learning and development team is in Denver. Um, our VP of our HRBPs is in San Diego. Our mm. chief people officer is in San Francisco. Actually, I think she's outside of San Francisco. Our head of people operations is in San Jose. So they're not geographically located. Mm. So therefore, those leaders are then much more empathetic to a broadly distributed team and managing them in a better way that is equitable. Mm. I'm really interested now about your strategy around belonging because it's it changes it changes the game plan almost for that, doesn't it? A little bit like yes. the leadership. It's a massive paradigm shift in terms of creating belonging on a platform and creating belonging in a workplace or even more difficult doing it both. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what's that meant for your belonging strategy? I mean, in terms of what you do and how you equip your people to feel like they belong to Okta, let's say, whether Okta. it's on a screen or in an office. Mm-hmm. So we do it a couple different ways. Most of it is tactical operations, to be quite right. honest. Okay. Some of it is the fact that we provide a work from home store. So no matter where you sit or where you live or where you're working from, the experience is similar to those that come into the office. Right. right? So I have a sit to stand desk. I have a commercial grade chair. I have a monitor. You know, I have a light. I have a pad and I work primarily from home. Okay. So it's, it's very similar. So the, our, our philosophy around that is whatever you can do in the office, you need to be able to do as well in a third spot. It's not a matter of equality, right? We mm. cannot replicate the office 100% in a home environment or a third-party environment, um, even in a programs and services. Mm. But we can create equality in those spaces. And so, you know, the other way that we do some belonging um, that we really kicked off this year is we've created regional teams, like regional hubs through Slack. And so it's oh, based cool. on states. Mm. So again, in places where we don't have a physical office, We've created these Slack channels and then our employee experience team monitors it. And when that team, you know, has, you know, a lot of people going on, our employee experience team might go in and say, hey, why don't we have a team gathering? Um, We just did one in Austin, you know, for our, our, we have a huge sales presence in Austin. And so I think we had like 50 people come and we had a t-shirt and we had a happy hour and we had a, you know, a a, Mm. a speed dating, get to know you kind of thing. So that's partly how we do the inclusion and belonging and, okay. and replicating the things that are happening in the office mm. in the home environment. Um, we've done it for a sustainability perspective. So sustainability has been a huge influence for us and dynamic mm. work really impacted, you know, our sustainability metrics and things like that. And so we did a, you know, a sustainability at home guide 
because at, in the office, you know, we have the, the recycling and the compost yeah. and, you know, the recycled paper and the LED lights. And so that stuff's all there already. So what we did was we created a guide for our employees that said, here's, here's similar things you can do if you're working from home, right? Mm. Anything from, you know, electric vehicles and renewable energy to literally how do you reduce your carbon footprint? So mm. those are the things that we think about is every time we build a program or a service or an operation is how does this impact our virtual teammates and our in-person teammates? And I would mm. almost say, you know, the in-person ones is a, is a muscle that everybody's built for many years. And so we kind of know how to do it. Yeah. So our first inclination in a lot of times, as we think about new things and we think about experiences is what does this mean for our virtual people? And then then we think about our in-person people, which is a big shift yeah. from how people, you know, organizations and, and companies used to think about those experiences. Mm. And particularly as a leader, I mean, I, I know I you've done some training with your leaders, but how have you prepared both leaders and employees for that paradigm shift? I mean, I know digital has enabled quite a lot and, and you've got, you know, applications and work from home and Slack and things like that. But how have you sort of taken them on? taking their hand, if you like, and taking on that journey step by step? So we do a number of different things when we are educating and working through change management, which is effectively all that this is, Mm. you know, a lot of what this is. We do individual meetings with all of our executive staff and their directs. And we talk about the tactics of what is dynamic work? What does that mean for your employees? What does Mm -hmm. that mean for you as a leader? We have individual meetings, particularly with our partners that are supporting us in HR, in you know, around our business partners, our recruiting team, our compensation team. Um, we'll talk through what that means for them. We do um, individual roadshows at each of the business units, and we'll talk okay. through it. They can have a Q and A. We do all hand, you know, all company mm-hmm. hands. We have company all hands. Mm-hmm. We have a Slack channel where people can ask us questions. We are getting ready to launch a intranet platform internally. That's really kind of more of a social platform where we'll have a whole site that's dedicated to dynamic work and all of the resources that we're building. It won't be, you know, it's, it's very similar to what a lot of other companies are doing around putting things out there so employees can read it and then giving them an opportunity to ask questions. Yeah. Our goal is to continue to drive the philosophy and the practices of dynamic work across a multitude of channels. And some of that will be a push and mm. some of that will be a pull. We really want employees to come to us and say, okay, I've read through these things. I understand it. Now, now I need to know what this actually means to me, right? Mm. And that's what we've heard in our surveys. And so, and then we're also looking at survey data. So we've okay. done an employee engagement survey. And so we've looked at all the data and we've looked at where the hot pockets are for us. Like who are the teams that don't feel like they understand it the most? Who are the teams that feel like they don't feel empowered to make those decisions? Um, right. Who are the leaders that we need to spend the time with? And so we're doing, a, instead of a broad brushstroke, we're doing a much more targeted approach because in general, more than 80% of our employees feel really great about dynamic work and what it means to them and the empowerment that it provides them. But we know we have some hot pockets of places where whether through um, the acquisition or they're just new hires or maybe new leaders, we need to spend some more time. Mm. So you're constantly listening to and interacting with your employees to, yeah. to get that feedback from them. Mm-hmm. And what, what would you say the biggest change has been at Okta? If I look at the dynamic work strategy, what, what's been the biggest change where people have gone, oh, 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, Susie, that's an interesting question. And I think the biggest change that we've seen is a shift in mindset at legacy leadership level. So mm. employees, leaders that were here prior to the pandemic, when Okta was a in-office culture and people came to the office, I think the biggest shift to the, and it's been positive, mm. is really the embracing that it doesn't have to be a binary solution. It doesn't no. mean just because you're not in the office doesn't mean that you're not working. And I think the the biggest challenge has been when those leaders made that shift, then they were all like, okay, now what do I do to bring my teams together? Mm. Because everybody can work, everybody can put their head down and do work, but how do we build camaraderie? How do we build trust? How do we bring those people together? And so I would say that's been the biggest change that we've worked on this year is helping leaders understand what are the available options and resources to them to bring teams together. And Mm. that because you, your team is working dynamically doesn't mean that they won't come together. It doesn't mean that they can't come together. It just means that they have the choice and the flexibility. And when you give them the trust for that, a lot of employees will choose to come together naturally and organically mm-hmm. because we're that's just human nature in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Yeah, and of course, we're just letting people interact as opposed to trying to control the interactions, which, which right. is also a paradigm shift in itself. Right. What's your biggest learning, Sam, from observing this process, but also from being deeply involved in this process of, I was going to say, um, taking people on a journey it is, but it's accompanying them into a different mindset of dynamic work as opposed to sort of in the office work. I think that there's probably two biggest takeaways for me. One is you constantly have to be listening to employees yeah. and paying attention to what is happening externally mm. because your employees are doing the same thing. Right. And you have to understand where they're coming from, what's important to them, you know, where they are on their professional journey that, you know, new hires or new graduates want different things or they or they need different things. It's not even mm-hmm. about what, but they need different things on their professional journey. Potentially, say, you know, people that have been professionals for 10 years or even executives, like it's just different. Right. And so yeah. It's, it's not a one size fits all. And so Clearly. That's, that's the biggest thing mm. that I've learned is really paying attention and listening to employees in those ways that it, it's not a one size fits all. Mm. The second real big learning is for those of us that are doing this at companies and leading this at companies, we're living and breathing it every single day, right? This is what our jobs are. Yeah, Your employees and the people that you're interacting with, this is a very small part of their daily work life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They've been hired to do a job that is not this. Yeah. Right. It might be software development. It might be performance management. It mm. might be, you know, go to market in sales. Like there's a whole host of things. And this part of their job is so little, but it has such a big impact. Mm. And so you have to engage them and educate them at a speed. And with content that is meaningful to them, not meaningful to you. Yeah, because we're used to talking about it, aren't we? (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. not. And I I think the same goes for tools, doesn't it? We were talking before the show about how efficient or not tools can be and therefore how much they help you or they don't in terms of what you're trying to get done on a daily basis. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. 
Mm. So, so how do you, I'm really interested in the measurement question, and I don't know if you can give away all those details, but I'm really interested in how do you measure dynamic work? Because for me, performance management, you said you'll be looking at talent definitions and things like that. But that's one of the biggest challenges of the shift of paradigm of one system to another is, you know, how do you measure these things and what OKRs or KPIs are appropriate or even meaningful? You know, what mm-hmm. are we trying to measure essentially? I think there's a couple of different measurements, at least for us, from a mm-hmm. dynamic perspective. You know, I would be remiss to say real estate is very expensive for companies. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge PL mm-hmm. cost structure for, for companies. And for companies that are committed, like Okta is, to maintain place for employees, you have to measure utilization. You just yeah. have to. It, it would really not behoove us to just say, we're going to have a place and we're going to do all these great things and not actually measure, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, who's coming in and using it. What are they using it for? You know, are they, are they, what's the participation on our in-person engagement events? Like those are things that you have to measure. You have to measure the scales of utilization, whether that's at the program level, at the place level, at the different design settings level, because you're spending as a company, a lot of money, right? You're spending a lot of money to design and open a space. And then you're spending a lot of money to operate and maintain a space. Mm. And, you know, our spaces are primarily in cities, you know, we're in urban areas. And so that's even more expensive. Mm. There's There's a cost to doing business in those locations that you don't necessarily see in other markets. And so that has to be one measure of utilization and every that was always a that was always a measure of utilization or a measure of real estate prior to the pandemic mm-hmm. and any company that is maintaining a real estate footprint a physical real estate footprint post pandemic is definitely doing that. We're also measuring community engagement. And when I say community mm-hmm. I mean mostly within Okta but also externally with our community partners. So what does dynamic work enable our employees to do with time that maybe they aren't spending commuting or time that they, you know, in their non-linear work days, maybe they're reinvesting that time in their mm-hmm. community, their community locations. And mm-hmm. so we have a way um, where people can submit info- tracking information around, I've, I'm doing this on this day, or I want to contribute to this, right? That's the other way is we have a platform where people can contribute parts of their paycheck to different causes Mm -hmm. and Okta will also um, contribute as well. So, you know, there's, there are things like that, that we're watching. I won't Mm -hmm. say necessarily tracking because, you know, people's philanthropic um, choices are obviously, you know, their own very personal, Mm -hmm. but what we're seeing, what we're trying to see is, are we seeing an uptick in the general amount of donation? Not, not the specific causes, not the Mm -hmm. amount of money, but generally are we seeing an uptick in it? Are Mm -hmm. people feeling like they can reinvest maybe the money they spent commuting or the money they spent parking or something like that in a different way that really is much more centered around them and what's important to them. Mm. Do you see those measurements evolving as as the strategy evolves? Or do you think it will take a lot of time for us to actually understand what we're getting back? I think it's going to take a while. Mm. You know, just leaning on my historical real estate experience you know, it, it's about a three-year, three to five-year curve to kind of yeah. see those things. And you have to remember, you know, many companies are just now, right? In the summer of 2022, particularly in the US, many companies haven't even reinstated any kind of, you know, quote unquote, return to the office program, yeah. Yeah. right? So, or they're, or they're moving them out. They're mm-hmm. shifting and they're changing it. 
right? I think Apple a week and a half ago changed theirs again because of so much pushback from their employees. Mm. And so the baseline for a lot of organizations, Susie, is still moving. Yeah, I think the baseline for us is not, Mm. which is nice, (laughs) right? Because we kind of made this determination going into the pandemic. And really what's changed for us is we've always thought about the choice and flexibility component, but as more and more people during the pandemic either had to or chose to not return to the office, what we really had to shift our our focus on was around that trust and around Mm. community and programs and services. And so for us, that's the measurement is how are people feeling engaged? How are people feeling like the time is well spent? How do people feel like we're supporting them, enabling them in a remote environment that's really aligned to their geographies and their cultures and the way that you know, they want to take care of themselves and their families. So the utilization continues to be a metric that we will continue to measure. And I think every company will measure Mm. if they have any kind of physical footprint or if they're using a co-working solution, right? They want to see the utilization of it and what what people are utilizing it for. Mm. It's really the people-centric things that I think will become more prevalent in the measurement functions Mm. over the course of time, because as people choose to use the space in a different way and they're not coming in every day, they might not even be coming in every week or every month, Mm. right? They might only be coming every quarter. What becomes important to them is not about the physical space or the things that you offer in the physical space, but can they, can you replicate that in some way, shape or form for them in their geography or in the location that they choose to work from? Mm. We're back to the listening piece, aren't we? But it's interesting to see how now we have data and and applications and organizational network analysis and narrative analysis and things that will give us behavioral insight through data. I think that's really interesting. But so how would you see the future of work going forward? I mean, I know that's a massive question, but if I take the dynamic work strategy that you currently work on, how do you see that playing out in the next two years? So for us, I think it's really around what does our workplace look like. And Mm. it's really focused around experience and experience centers. You know, we're opening an experience center in New York that really will highlight products, highlight services. It brings together and melds in some ways our internal teams with our prospects and our clients. And I think you'll see, continue to see it be a strategic advantage for us Mm. where we're not requiring any specific in-office times or days but we are creating opportunities for employees based on their own styles. I find in the workplace and even in business, you know, we, in a lot of ways, we take a very binary approach to many things. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And it's it's not just like, are you coming to work? Or are you not? Mm. You know, did you finish this project? Did you not? You know, and 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 there's a lot of things that are like that that are that have a binary, particularly in you know our financial and operations yeah. kind of components. But I equate it a little bit to learning styles. And it took us, you know, decades to figure out that there are four primary learning styles when people learn. Mm-hmm. There's more than one or two work styles. Yeah. And so I think the, the evolution mm-hmm. of work and how work gets done and where work gets done and when work gets done will continue. And over the next couple of years, I think you're going to see more companies leaning into these different work styles, right? Mm. And creating some options for employees. One, because talent is really tight and it's going to yeah. continue to be really tight. 
You've got all of the economic pressures that are coming, um, particularly in the states mm. around, you know, inflation, cost of living, the housing markets, all of those things. You've got technology that's continuing to evolve literally every single day. And so those will be things that are not going to go back into a box, mm. right? like the pre-pandemic box. Mm. And so I think what companies will have to do, and I know what we will be focusing on is, again, akin to the four different learning styles, you know, what are the working styles, you know, and how do we as a company decide what makes the most sense for us from a business perspective, but also enables us to have a strategic competitive advantage against our competition and not only attract, but retain top Mm. talent. You know, the tech sector is an interesting one because if you look at it, I think talent turns over about every two and a half to three years in tech organizations. Mm. Um, if you think about the cost of bringing person on and onboarding them and the time it takes for them to just begin to navigate the organization, particularly in a virtual environment, by the time you get them up and running, they're potentially leaving the organization. Yeah. yeah. So I think the focus has to be in the future of work of defining what those things look like for your organization and then building the programs and services that support and enable employees. So they feel very connected to the culture and very engaged and very invested in because it's it's also very easy in a distributed environment for people to feel loneliness, yeah, to feel like the person doesn't know what you're, what you're working on, to feel not connected. And mm-hmm. so I think for organizations that has to be a huge component of the future of work, right? Mm-hmm. And to the our our first commentary or our first discussion around presence, yeah. it has to be presence has to be a smaller subset of yeah. the conversation and what the, what companies are spending their time thinking about and investing in, and they really have to be focused on the human centered portion of that and the life cycle and professional journey of every employee that comes to their organization. Yeah, and I think, you know, in the same way that culture and leadership paradigms are shifting, skills paradigms, I mean, the whole model has been turned on its head, hasn't it? But by digital, essentially, but that's going to be a massive part of a dynamic strategy in the future, isn't it? And and how we define talent and what that looks like. I think retention, talent retention is probably going to be one of the biggest challenges of each organisation as we move into, you know, the next two or three years. Some time is running, but I would like to ask you, what would your final recommendations be to any leader or organizations looking to take that first step of, okay, what does our hybrid model look like? Because people are just managing today, but, you know, do they need a hybrid model? Does it need to be set in stone? You know, what are your learnings there for them? So I think some of it we've talked about during the conversation. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to reiterate a few of those things. One is listen to your employees. You have to collect employee feedback. You need to know, because if you don't have your employee feedback, you have no baseline to start from. Mm-hmm. You're, make, you're making an assumption that you know, but employees will tell you if you give them a, an opportunity to do so. Um, and that can be in small group sessions, that can be in focus groups, that can be a survey, that can be a third party. If, if you feel like your organization is really struggling with trust, Mm. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can collect employee feedback around how they feel work is working right mm. now, right? And that's the the full spectrum of, you know, the office, the benefits, those programs, the services, ship, mm. learning and development, right? The mm. full spectrum of those things. You also need to really understand your company culture. Yeah. 
while we talked about the opportunity for companies to really be invested in this space, there are some companies, some leaders, and some industries that this just doesn't work for them, right? Not at a a full scale company wide. It might for again, where our pendulum is more like you know ten percent of our people are 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 have in office requirements, and ninety mm-hmm. percent of our people don't. There are industries and organizations where the pendulum is different, right? And maybe ninety percent of their people need to have some kind of office functionality, mm-hmm. and ten percent really have the flexibility. And so again, neither one is necessarily right or wrong. In my opinion, Mm -hmm. you need to understand what is the company culture? What are you trying to achieve? Who are your clients? Who are your customers? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, are you young in a startup? Are you um, more mature and you've been around for a while? Are your processes and procedures really well understood and people live them and deliver them Mm -hmm. all the time, right? Where your company is, Mm -hmm from a culture and a, mat- a maturity standpoint can, can be really challenging to do things in a hybrid mm. environment. If you're, if you're not, if you're not focused on those things, mm. right. Um, mm. I call them behind the curtain pieces, right. <laughs> There's not the things that your customers see, yeah. right. But it's the things that impact how your organization runs and operates leading to that part of it is tools and technology. So what is your technology stack? Make mm. sure that you're simplifying that. It's really easy in a virtual world to have, a hundred different tools because you have all these different teams using different things. The challenge with that is employees then spend an inordinate amount of time, as much as 25 or 30% of their time, trying to figure out which tool do I need to use to find the information that I need oh. to do my job. Yeah. So and so streamlining that mm. and then and being focused on that and training on that is really important. And then you know, building those services and programs. And I mm. and I say this. Obviously, these are very big, broad things that that I'm discussing, but you can be laser focused in each of these areas as well. You don't have to think about it at an enterprise level necessarily, Mm -hmm. but you need to think about these four kinds of functions if you're going to build a really great, you know, virtual or hybrid um, environment. It's employee feedback, company culture and the focus, the tools and technology and the programs and services that you offer. And then you need to build a plan. Mm-hmm. And your plan, if you're new to this, fact that this, your roadmap to get to probably where you want to be is, you know, anywhere from three to five years, depending on yeah. what you're working on, you know, deploying and adopting and utilizing new tools is not a quick thing. No. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. Changing process or implementing process is not quick either. It needs a lot of buy-in changing or transforming existing programs and services that used to historically focus on on-site presence to more focus on virtual presence, again, is not something that's easy or necessarily quick. So I think those are the things that companies just really need to think about if they're thinking about making the transition. And again, those are big, huge, broad buckets Mm. and brushstrokes. I think you need somebody to focus on those things and that is partnering with those different teams that are delivering them and just realize that it's going to take time. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen overnight. So to your question about, you know, what does future of work look like in two years? I think many companies will still be working on it. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be a moving feast. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sam. I'm going to leave our listeners with those four foundational blocks and to think about what might work for them and how they could sort of set up a structure that would help them embed it into culture and ways of working. Right. Sam, thank you for taking the time to come and share with us what you're doing at Okta and your definition of dynamic workplace and the strategy that you've put in place. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing at Okta? 
the easiest place is um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, definitely. And, or you can go to our Octa website. We have a whole um, dynamic work page on our uh, Octa website. Just go to Octa.com and type in dynamic work in the search bar. Okay, excellent. Thank you. I will invite our listeners to go and find out more about Octa's dynamic workplace strategy. Thank you, Sam. Thank you so much, Susie. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode and the insights it gave you. And it's bye from me for now. And I'll see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.